Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. It may surprise you to learn that pornography producers and sellers account for the lion's share of copyright infringement lawsuits in the country. In fact, judges may have seen enough. The courts are cracking down on porn sellers that file thousands of lawsuits against people for downloading and trading racy films on home computers. Joining me is Susan Decker, Bloomberg News patent reporter. So, Sue, describe the scheme that one judge called a high-tech shakedown. Well, it's a common scheme that's used actually by a lot of movie makers, but nobody does it at quite the level of these two porn producers. What they do is they file what's known as a John Doe lawsuit against an internet protocol address. And then they ask the judge, give us an order that we can go to the ISP providers and say, give us the identity of this person who's using this IP address. They then go to the person and they say, well, you know, it's $150,000 per infringement of a movie. You downloaded X number. How about you give us $2,000, $3,000, and we won't change the lawsuit to put your name on it and publicly let everyone know in the world that you were downloading porn. So their business model is actually litigation rather than the films? No, they they all have legitimate websites. And their argument is that this is the only way that they can see under the current scheme to deal with piracy. But it's interesting that the other porn companies who are also having the same problem of people swapping movies aren't going through this rather extreme method of, of kind of shaming their customers. Some judges, as you mentioned in your story, are finding that tactics are objectionable. A D.C. federal judge, Royce Lambert, says one of the companies, Strike Three, quote, treats this court not as a citadel of justice, but as an ATM. What was his specific problem with them? His, his problem is that there's a concern about the idea that even though a vast majority of Americans uh, watch porn, there's still a stigma to it and that they're capitalizing on it. They're filing literally thousands upon thousands of lawsuits with the idea that they're going to shame people into a settlement. And the judge is like, well, there's other ways of doing this. I'm not sure that linking an IP address to an individual is enough to say this is the person who is engaged in this piracy. I think you need to do more than that, and I'm not going to let you take part in this. Have other judges done that as well? We're starting to see signs that, you know, this has been going on for a few years, and, and most of the judges will just routinely sign off on it because it's actually a procedure that was blessed by the Supreme Court more than a decade ago. But you're starting to see, especially with Judge Lambert's ruling, that people are starting to say, I think this judge is right, and I'm not going to go along with it either. The question is how far, how many judges are going to do that? Some of the shakedowns, if I can use that term, almost sound like extortion. Have there been any criminal charges filed? There were some cases, and these were gentlemen who were doing it actually before Malibu Media and Strike 3, the two most recent. And they were kind of unique because they were uploading the movies themselves to these file sharing sites with, you know, basically, hey, here's a movie. And anybody who would take the bait, they would go after them. And they collected over $6 million doing this. And they would set up all sorts of shell companies and, and do all sorts of things to kind of escape the judicial scrutiny. And 
prosecutors finally went after him. One man who cooperated was sentenced to five years in prison in June. His partner, who did not cooperate, was sentenced to 14 years in federal prison, and he's appealing right now. Tell us a little bit about what the companies and their attorneys say about this criticism. Well, they say they are copyright owners. Pornography is entitled to copyright protection, just like every other movie, and they have to do something to deal with the piracy because they're losing business on it. The Copyright Association has said, you know, it would be nice if the ISP providers would do more to help stop piracy. They're not, so this is the only option that they have. So tell us about the legislation that's being considered in Congress. There is an idea of creating what's known as, it's kind of a small claims court. And so if you feel that there's a copyright violation, instead of going to federal court, spending all that money, you go to a tribunal, a specialized tribunal before the copyright office, and there's a limit on damages instead of $150,000 per infringement, it would be $5,000. And they say, well, this way, you know, if you think there's some infringement, then you can go and do it. The Copyright Association says, well, that's really more towards independent authors and photographers and things like that who couldn't afford courts, and that there are provisions to ensure that that board is not overwhelmed by these these two particular companies or anyone like it. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, on the other hand, says, no, there's some concern that, that this could just exacerbate, that it would spread beyond these two companies. I remember quite some time ago that the music industry was cracking down on people who downloaded music. Is this an outgrowth of that? Yeah, it's it's actually when I mentioned earlier that it was blessed by the Supreme Court, that was the that was what happened. It used to be that the recording industry would go to say Verizon and they would have a list of IP addresses and they would say give me the names who owns this IP addresses and we'll go after them. And Verizon actually had sued and said, no, we want some judicial oversight to make sure that this process isn't being abused. And so the John Doe lawsuits were actually created as a way to protect people against unfair claims of copyright infringement. And the argument has been made that these two particular companies have weaponized it. So they're filing, it's amazing, two companies, they filed almost half of the 3,400 copyright lawsuits filed in the country in the first seven months of this year, according to analysis by Bloomberg Law. So do they have staffs of lawyers? How does it work? It's actually kind of technological And that's actually part of the question that the judge wants to do is, how are you identifying these people? You're linking, you say that you're able to link a transferred file to an internet protocol address. How do we know that there's not some spoofing that's involved? And how do we know that this IP address is is actually the one that's transferring it? And then taking it one step further, how do we know that the person who's on the other side of that computer is the one? So there's a lot of of technological questions that that they will have to answer. Strike Three, who was involved in the Royce Lambert case, has actually appealed to the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit here in Washington, and they specifically say, we want the court to say what we're doing is appropriate and is what is allowed, and we really don't appreciate the judge calling us a copyright troll. Wow. Well, that will be an interesting appellate argument. Thanks so much, and get back to us when we know what happens there. That's Susan Decker, Bloomberg News patent reporter. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.